0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Oh, you can do better than that. Good morning. Ah, there you are. Welcome to church. I can say, yes, it's great to be back from India, even though I have no idea what time it is. So that's how that works. Um, I bring you three messages not all in one Sunday. Well, yes, but only short ones. All right. The first one is from John Gabriel. Those of you who were here a couple of years ago and John came and spoke. Wonderful, fond memories of this church. And we've been with him for almost three weeks and uh, just had a wonderful time. So he sends you his love and greetings. Looking very much forward to being here the next time he comes to the United States. Uh, the second greeting is from the church in Pathuvale, uh, Because through the generosity of this church, We actually bought land and built a building and also a cemetery next to that building for that church. It's growing, doing very, very well, and they are extremely grateful. So they wanted me to convey their gratitude to you. And the third is a little bit of a challenge because as we were getting ready to wrap things up, John said, well, when are you coming back? And I said, "Ah, how does three years sound? And he said, too long, way too long. So I negotiated two years, all right, (laughs) Um, but he would love for us to bring a whole team of people from this church with a worship band and teachers to work in uh, the English uh, medium school there, and uh, so I just want to put that seed thought in your mind. You can start praying about that because it would be great to take 10 or 12 people from this church, and I guarantee you it would change your life. It's... uh, now, you've got to be up for a challenge. I mean, you've you got to be willing to look bugs in the eye you've never seen before. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you've got to be willing to do a few other things like that. But I, I tell you what, um, it, it's just a fabulous experience. So thank you for your prayers. And uh, I want to say one other thing. Uh, this church is blessed with such a tremendous staff uh, Bob, Justin, Angela, Michael, Kevin. Uh, I was just so blessed to go and know that when I got back, the church would be further ahead than when I left. And uh, you guys are so blessed to have those people on staff, and I want to say thank you to each of them. (laughs) Absolutely. This is an interesting poster. I got it this morning. Uh, It's thank you in about 15 or 20 different languages because... Last night and the night before last, uh, we hosted uh, in this building about 50 foreign exchange students from countries around the world, about 20 countries around the world. They were sponsored by one of the local ro- Rotary Clubs and um, got a phone call from them. Is there any way we could use your new building? I said, absolutely, that's why we built it. People from the Rotary Club came to me this morning and said, It's the finest experience we've ever had in any place we've ever done work. And uh, and they said, every person we interacted with in this church is is just beyond kind and nice and thoughtful. So I wanted you to know you represented Christ well. Thank you for doing that. It's the first of many that I hope that we are able to do in terms of, of community events and hosting them. So having said all of that, let me introduce myself. For those of you who are our first-time guests this morning, my name is Ron. And for the next several minutes, I'm going to speak to you about a very special subject. It's, uh, it's a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. And uh, I'm going to share it uh, from God's Word, but not just from God's Word. I'm, I'm going to share it from my heart as well. We're in the middle of a series of sermons on family, and it's I don't care what culture you're from, it's hard to know how to do family right. And never was I impressed with that any more than when we walked into the hotel that we were going to stay at our very first night in India. We were in Bombay, and uh, we were there going to overnight and then fly on down to the mission field. So we were going to stay in a uh, a hotel, and uh, so we drove through all these shanty towns and so forth and pulled up to this nice hotel in the middle of the slums. It was definitely uh, a business person's hotel, and uh, it was a beautiful hotel on the inside, And Lisa said to me, Dad, come over here and look at this thought for the day. So I want you to take a look at the thought for the day that was in the lobby of that Indian hotel. Yeah, some of you can read. That's amazing, isn't it? Look at that. Family, religion, friends. These are the three demons you must slay if you wish to succeed in business. And you thought that was just American, right? (laughs) I don't care where you go, the temptations are always the same. The struggles are always the same. People are people. Culture changes, but sin never does. The struggles are the same. Trying to figure out how to prioritize those. Trying to figure out where they fit in our lives. That's a tough thing. And we're in the middle of this series on the family and getting the family to work. So that it actually accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish. That's a great thing. It's a huge challenge. And, and every Sunday we've taken a different person in the family. We started with dad and then we went to mom and, and then we went to marriage and then we went to parenting and, and today we're going to talk to teens. That's a, that's a group of people very near and dear to my heart. Now some of you have noticed that I dressed a little bit differently this morning than I normally do. Now, I'm not delusional. I don't think I can actually be a teen, all right? <laughs> and nor do I actually think I can really be hip and cool and tight and all that stuff that, that, that I'm supposed to be. But at least I wanted to dress like this so that every time you looked up here, you would remember that this is, not a, this is not a sermon for parents of teens. This is not a sermon about what's right or wrong with teens in this day. This is a sermon to help guide teens through one of the toughest periods of their life. It's not easy transitioning from a child's world to an adult world. That's a huge, huge challenge. And it has to take place in a relatively short period of time. We can talk a lot about that this morning. You see, as a teen, for the first time in your life, you're able to do things that you've always wanted to do but not been able to. For instance, you're able to grasp concepts that you weren't able to grasp before as a small child. You couldn't grasp abstract ideas and concepts and thoughts. You weren't really able to take a principle and then apply it across the breadth of life in different situations, but it's the same principle in different settings. You didn't have the ability to do that, but now you can. You weren't able to take the events of life and think about them cognitively and analyze them and draw conclusions. You just look to your parents and your parents gave you the conclusions and you went with it. But for the first time in your life, you're able to actually analyze things. For the first time in your life, you're making real decisions. You're no longer deciding, shall I play with the truck or the tractor this morning? Shall I have Barbie be a princess or put her in blue jeans today? You're actually making real decisions that have real consequences. And you're finding out that they also have real pressures connected with them. It's a whole new world. It's not easy. We have a family that's been visiting us through drama every week. And I want you to watch as the teenager of that family starts to make some of his first decisions. You'll see the struggle.
1: Hey, Mom? Dad? Mom? I got my first paycheck. Mom? Dad? That's odd. Oh, yeah, that's right. They were going to Christie's dance recital tonight. Oh, well. Wow, my first paycheck. How cool is that? Finally, I get my own money to make my own decisions about. Well, almost. I'm sure my parents are going to have something to say about that. I wonder. Oh, Scott, we're so proud of you. Yep, your first paycheck is a pretty big deal. I'm going to make a nice dinner tonight to celebrate. Yes, and after dinner, we're going to sit down and work up a financial plan. A financial plan? What's up with that? I'm a kid. I've got my own plans for this money. All right, dude. All right. See ya. Hello? Uh, hold on. I got something to deal with. Spend it, dude. We've earned that money, and we deserve to use it in whatever way we want to. Now that's what I'm talking about. Your father's right, Scott. A solid plan up front will pay benefits for a lifetime. Yep, you need to plan ahead for things like tithing, savings, retirement, even everyday expenses. Retirement? Tithing? What expenses? You didn't buy me my own car, so I drive yours. You pay the insurance, and there's always gas in one of the cars. And please, don't start with me on that room and board garbage. I didn't ask to be born. That was your decision. And retirement. Please, get real, people. I'm 16. When I'm ready for the walker, I'll drag grandmas out of the attic. Scott, you won't live with us forever. Hopefully. You need to learn to make your own way in the world, and it's best if you start here today. This is not what I had in mind, people. You're you're ruining my no, life. No, Scott, we're helping you shape your life. And you have to admit that saving a little for something you really want isn't such a bad idea. Yeah, I guess that is pretty cool. And you've been a Christian long enough to know something about tithing. Yeah, that's right. Don't listen to that man. You two pay the tithing. Hey. This is between you and God. It has very little to do with us. Wow. My first paycheck. Lots of decisions to make. You know, how I choose to control my life really affects this family. And they've been through all this before, so I guess I should at least listen to what they have to say. Hmm.
0: Ah, yes, indeed. Real decisions. So, I want to talk to you for a few minutes. I want to begin by talking about one of the parables, one of the stories that Jesus told. And it's one of his most popular and most well known. And I'm not going to tell it to you in detail because most of you have heard the story. Or at least know the storyline. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of a father who had a couple of sons and one of them said, Okay, Dad, I'm out of here. I'm going to blow this joint. You're too way too conservative. You're way too restrictive. You don't have a clue what real life is all about. Give me my money. I'm out of here. And so he took his money and he left. And he wasted the money uh, doing whatever he wanted to do. And when when he fell on economic hard times, a uh, job was really hard to find. He finally found a job feeding pigs. And what was worse was he was so hungry that he actually thought about eating the food instead of giving it to the pigs. And in that moment of time, the light came on in his head and he got a brand new perspective in life and he decided to go back home. And he decided to have a new start and work with his dad. Now I want to tell you that story in a little more detail, but I want to tell it to you through the eyes of a good friend of mine, because he's a modern-day prodigal son. The story starts very innocently. It's a dad, a mom and two kids, older sister, younger brother. Mom and dad, not married. I mean, not, not, not remarried or divorced or any of that. Just same mom and dad been married for years. Brother and sister, both born to the same parents. Dad was a successful businessman. Actually, a very successful businessman. So successful, he worked only about three and a half days a week. And that was enough, not just to provide for the family, that was enough to provide for the family very well. And so they were kind of pillars of the local country club. And every Thursday afternoon and Friday afternoon, that young boy knew that his dad would be waiting for him at the country club and he and his dad would go out and play a round of golf. They were Christians. They went to one of the local churches in town virtually every Sunday. Just looking at that family, you would think it has every indication of being a family that would have a happy ending. It's one of those families, you would think, and they lived happily ever after. But tragedy struck that family when the boy was 15. And now the father was out of his life. And as a 15-year-old, he had real choices to make in life that had real consequences. And for whatever reason, I don't know, he doesn't even know really, he decided that it was time for him to be a man. Now that his dad was out of the picture, the family needed a man. And what he knew of being a man was real men drink alcohol. He had already heard real men can hold their liquor. So that's the path he started down. And it wasn't long until he was the guy that was known throughout the high school as the guy who could set up keggers. So he became that guy in high school. And everybody went to him, and he set up keggers. Well, that came with a wonderful fringe benefit, the attention of all the high school girls who, of course, wanted to be attached to real men who, of course, defined their manhood by the liquor they could hold. And so he became popular. Well, about that same time, he also decided, as a man, a grown man now, one who drinks beer and holds it, one who's qualified to be a real man, I will do my homework whenever I feel like it. So do you think he did it more often or less often than he used to? (laughs) Yeah, less often. And his grades began to plummet. But it was no big deal because though he could have graduated with a 3.5 or a 4.0, he graduated with about a 2.7. But he graduated. No big deal. And he was a popular guy. And now it was on to bigger and better things because now he could be big man on campus at some college. Now his grades weren't good enough to get him in any really good college, but that didn't make any difference because he was not there to learn. He was there to party. And so he got accepted into a college, and sure enough, if you're going to be a big man on that campus, you can't do it with a few bottles of beer. Stakes got higher. No problem. He was a man. He could play that game. So it was no longer beer, now it was real liquor. And of course, it was no longer just girlfriends. It was sex and pornography. And it was no longer just alcohol. It was marijuana. Didn't really study hard, obviously. he Wasn't really there to study. But life was still good. He was still playing the game. He was still winning. He was still looked up to on the campus. As, boy, you want to have a good time. You get next to this guy because he can make it happen. And of course, it wasn't very long until marijuana wasn't, that wasn't all that cool anymore. So that was on to cocaine. Well, in the meantime, because he came from a home of some wealth, his tuition was paid for by his parents, his, his room and board was paid for by his parents. So he had no expenses. So he went down and he got a job working part-time and he took that money and he bought a convertible. So now he had booze, babes, and wheels. How could you lose? Right? It's everything every guy would want. I mean, life was great. His grades weren't all that good, but that, that wasn't that big a deal. But you know it wasn't long until that part-time job just wouldn't support that lifestyle. Because yes, he had no he had no tuition payments and he had no he had no room and board payments, but you know, a part-time job it'll pay your car payment, but it doesn't buy very much gas for that car, and it certainly doesn't buy presents for those girls, and it certainly doesn't buy cocaine. So he began to deal. It was easy. It was an easy transition. He already had all the contacts already. He was already a big man on campus. Everybody looked up to him. It was the natural next step. So he started dealing. And then he began to notice that a few years ago, he drank to feel like a man. And now he drank just to feel like a human. Because when he didn't drink, he no longer felt like a human. And he used to smoke marijuana to get high, but he noticed now he was using cocaine just to cope with the emptiness that was on the inside. By this time he had left college, he was living in the fast lane. He was clubbing weekend after weekend after weekend. He he was going from one girl to another girl to another girl. His life was spinning out of control until at the age of 28, in a drug deal that went bad, he killed a man. And within a few days, he was sitting in a jail cell. And a few months later, after a trial, he was in the penitentiary 75 years. Twelve years later, he got paroled at the age of 40, and that's where I met him. It It was my job, my responsibility, and my privilege to help him take the shattered pieces of his life and put them together. He had become a Christian. He had prayed to God for the forgiveness of his sins, and now it was time to rebuild his life. And so we did. We we went step by step rebuilding his life. But every once in a while I would find him sitting and in tears. And I would say, What's up? He'd say, I'm just so down. I'd say, Man, why are you down? You have a good job. You've been forgiven. You have salvation. You're surrounded by a church family who loves you. You're surrounded by your family of origin, and they love you, and they stand beside you. You're no longer in prison. You have freedom to live as a human being, and you have freedom to go out and work, and you work every day, and you earn a good living, and, 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 and we're golfing together. Life is good. And I can't tell you how many times he said this to me. The same phrase. It's all the wasted years. I said Ron, I'm I'm forty something. Most guys my age are holding their kids on their lap. So I probably won't ever have kids. I said I might not ever even get married. So when I think about where I could have been today and where I am, what a waste. I want to give you a word picture about that. When you exit childhood and you enter adult life, it's as if the ground is level and God gives you a shovel. And you can do one of two things with that shovel. You can go around and collect building materials and you can bring them here and begin to build your life and start setting the structure of your life as a teenager or you can take that shovel and start digging a hole. You're going to do one or the other. You're either going to build or you're going to dig. In this guy's life, when he was 40-something he finally decided to stop digging. And now he looked at it, and you know what he realized? It's going to take years just to fill up the hole I've been digging before I can even think about building. There's a reason that I want to talk to all the teenagers here this morning. I hope that what I'm going to say to you in the next few minutes will keep you from digging a hole. I can tell you the two words that God's going to give us out of His Word today, if you will do those two things, they will keep you from digging a hole. And they will allow you to start to build your life, even as a teenager. And so I want to share them with you, not not really as a pastor. I want to share them with you as a fellow human being. Let's take a look at what those might be. The first word is the word cooperation. The family really needs you to bring that to the table. You heard the teenager say this morning, you know, the how I choose and the choices I make really do affect this family. Now, not just because it's good for the family, it's good for you. Because the bottom line is, whatever's good for the family is good for you. And whatever's good for you is good for the family. Those are not opposing things. They are one and the same. They are together. And if you will bring cooperation to the table, then amazing things will happen in your life. Let me give you two good reasons to bring cooperation. The first is this. The way that you relate to your parents will determine how you relate to God. It was that way in this story that Jesus told of the young man who said, give me my money, dad, I'm out of here. When he finally saw the light and decided to go home, I want you to take a look at the first thing that he said to his dad here in Luke chapter 15. He said to him, father, I have sinned against what's the next word heaven Heaven and against you. You see, that young man realized that the way that he had related to his father was exactly the way that he was relating to his God. He probably was mad at God when he left his home thinking, how could you give me such an idiot for dad? I have no idea what this guy thinks. But I know this. I know better. And that's why, take a look at this passage in Leviticus, that's why, Moses said this to the people. The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must show great respect for your mother and your father, and you must always observe my Sabbath days of rest. I am the Lord your God. Do you see how God put those two together? If you don't respect your father and mother, if you don't cooperate with them, You will not cooperate with God. Here's how I know that will happen. Because as a teenager, your parents are going to give you some wisdom and some guidance and and some guidelines. And you're going to look at them and you're going to think, and I thought that you were actually bright. I have no idea what happened to you. How could you possibly ask me to do that? That makes no sense. And your parents are going to look at you and they're going to say this thing. They're going to say, trust me, I actually know what's best for you. And you have a choice to make. Because it's not going to be long till you pick up the Bible and you're going to read in there some guideline that god gives you some guideline like this you reserve yourself sexually until after marriage and you can look at that and go nobody does that there is no way what is god? I thought god was bright and you know something You're going to hear a very familiar voice. It's going to sound just like the voice of your parents because the voice of God is going to say, trust me, I know what's best for you. And you're either going to trust him or you're not. And if you didn't trust your parents whom you can see, you will not trust a God you cannot see. It's that simple. So if you bring cooperation to the table with your parents, boy, does it set you up well to cooperate with God. Now, there's a second reason why it's important for you to learn to cooperate in the home, and that is because the way you relate to your parents will determine the culture of your life. You know, life, when you do it well, is still not all that easy. But boy, you can complicate it and make it really hard in a really big hurry if you don't make the right choices. And, if, and, 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 and here's the deal. If you don't cooperate with your parents, you set yourself up for tremendous struggle and tremendous heartache and tremendous disappointment and chaos. God says so in His Word. Take a look. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to what? Now, I've been living a long time, and I've asked a lot of high school young people and junior high young people and college young people, what do you want to do in life? I've never had one say, my ambition in life is to feed pigs. That's not on anybody's preferred list of occupations. It's way down at the bottom because in more than one way it stinks. just does. So there he was. And it got even worse. Not only was he feeding the pigs, the Bible says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that he was giving to the pigs. Now when you look at what you're feeding to the pigs and you think that really looks good, you're in serious trouble. You know, he set the course of his life in the direction of chaos without even knowing it. Now I want you to see what God says. Remember God said, honor your father and your mother? Let's take a look at where that is, a different place in Scripture, and see what else goes with that here in Ephesians 6. It says, now obey your parents as the Lord wants because this is the right thing to do. And then he goes on to say, this command says, honor your father and your mother. And then it says it comes with a bonus. This is the first command that actually has a promise with it. And here's what the promise is. Then everything will be well with you and you will will have a long life on the earth. In other words, God's saying, boy, if you just bring cooperation to the table, I know, I know that it's a little bit against your nature because it's not natural for teenagers to want to cooperate with their parents. But if you will discipline yourself to do it and you will make that choice to do it, boy, I'll tell you what, you will set yourself up to actually enjoy life. God says, you've got my word on it. That's huge. Let me tell you the second word. The second word is learning. And this is just as big as the first one. By the way, if you don't do the first one, you won't ever get to do the second one. Okay? Learning. Do you realize, those of you who are teenagers, you are in the most vertical learning curve you're ever going to experience in your entire life. How old do you have to be to be a teenager? 13, right? When do you normally leave home? At 18. How many years is that in between? Thank you. (laughs) Somebody did their homework. (laughs) Okay? Five. Can you imagine at 13, you've just left the sixth grade. And in five years, you're going to walk out the door and you're going to have to be ready to accept all the responsibilities of life. And you have only five years to get it done. That's huge. That's big. So how are you going to do that? Well, if you start wasting energy in the not cooperating thing, then you just put yourself behind the eight ball and it gets tougher and tougher and tougher. God says, I want you to learn. So as a teenager, here's what I wrote in in my margin here, that teenagers are family in training. Do you realize that you are the next father's and the next mothers, the next husbands, and the next wives. You're the next workers for the marketplace. Some of you are going to be the next supervisors. Some of you are going to be the next middle management people in companies. And some of you are going to rise to the top and be senior management people in companies. And you have a very, very, very short period of time in order to get the foundation set for that. Because if you don't set the foundation right, you'll never make any of those things. Big job. That's why God gave you parents. Those are people you can learn from. And I recognize that your parents are not perfect to you. Duh, have you met my parents? (laughs) I can tell you that an amazing thing is going to take place in your parents' lives. During that same decade, when you are learning how to become an adult... By the time you hit your mid-twenties, you're going to be amazed at how brilliant your parents have become. Yeah. Because even the parents that seem to you to be the most inept at life have wonderful wisdom to give you. Unfortunately, they don't always live it out. Careful about that. For a couple of reasons. I've known a lot of teenagers who rebel against their parents because their parents don't live it out perfectly. And when they come in and talk to me, I say, let me get this right, okay? You're telling me that you are living in rebellion against your parents because they don't practice what they preach right. I am. You know what I want to say? How's that working for you? I'm quite sure now that you're in full rebellion, your parents are doing better. What do you think? Did they change over that? And now that you're living in full rebellion, how's your life? Oh, so you're going to change your parents by destroying your life. Does that make sense? You see, even parents who struggle with issues in their own life still have a desire to tell you the truth about yours. Granted, they don't always deliver it with the best delivery. I'm sorry about that. But do your best to listen anyway. Because you have a lot to learn. A lot. Take a look at what the Bible says. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. And and that passage actually goes on. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life keeping you from the immoral woman from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. It's a wonderful passage. It goes on and on. The bottom line is, God's saying, I know it isn't always delivered the best by your parents, but listen anyway, because you have a lot to learn. Secondly, because in the next few years of your life, you will make the most important decisions you'll ever make. I want you to think about this. When you leave your home at 18 years of age, in the next 10 years, between the ages of 18 and 28, you're going to make a decision about your own faith. Up to that point, pretty much living on your parents' faith. They drag you to church, you come to church. Uh, hopefully you're enjoying it, but the bottom line is you don't know if that's your faith or their faith until you leave their home and the first Sunday you have to decide whether you're going to get up and go to church or not. And that's a decision that has real consequences. You can make a decision about your faith. You're going to make a decision about your education. You're going to make a decision about your occupation in life. Chances are you're going to get involved in your first really serious relationship, and many of you are going to end up to be married before you're 28. If you're not married, chances are by that time you will have had your heart broken at least once already. Huge, huge decisions. Well, you've got a few years to learn so that when you make those decisions, you don't dig your building. That's the deal. So what does God say about that? Take a look. My children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment for I'm giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instructions. Why? For I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child, and my father taught me, take my words to heart, follow my commands, and you will live. Give wisdom. Get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. For if you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. A few years ago, there was a TV game game show called Let's Make a Deal. I don't remember altogether how it worked. But I do remember this, you did certain things and you got certain amount of dollars and then the host would say to you, do you want to keep the money or do you want to trade it for behind the curtain? Or sometimes it was, you can trade it for behind what's curtain in curtain one, what's behind curtain two or behind curtain three. And at that point, it was always very exciting because the people in the audience were all yelling different things. You know, keep the money. No, take curtain one. No, take curtain three. And everybody was yelling and the person was sitting there trying to make up their mind, you know. And sometimes they'd say, ah, take curtain one. And they'd draw back the curtain and it was a fabulous vacation worth thousands of dollars and sometimes it was an old broken down donkey. (laughs) But the deal was, Neither you nor the people in the audience ever knew what was behind the curtain. Now, here's why you want to listen to your parents. Because your parents are now on the other side of the curtain, and they know it's back there. And they have come around the curtain to where you are and you have this power as a teenager and all of this potential. And they're saying, trust me, take curtain number one. I know what's back there. I've seen it. And they're also saying, trust me, don't take curtain number three. I also know what's back there. And you have a choice. That's why God gave you parents. That's why the greatest thing you can bring to your family is this wonderful perspective of cooperation and learning. Because if you do that, boy, do you set yourself up well for life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the writer says this, Remember your Creator. While you are young, why before the days of trouble come and the years when you say I have no pleasure in them, I want to tell you a, a story and and then I'm going to say a short prayer um, before I go home. For six years I lived in Hawaii and, and uh, I think it's impossible to live in Hawaii and not somehow get drawn uh, into all the water sports and especially surfing. And uh, for those of you who know me a little bit, know that my surfing career lasted one wave and a broken neck in four places and I was done with that. That's a story for a different time, all right? But I do want to tell you this. I used to love to go and watch people surf that knew what they were doing. And one of my favorite places to go was up on the North Shore to a place called Pipeline. And it was called Pipeline for a reason. And there you could see... All sorts of different things. For there were people up there, some of whom knew what they were doing and some of whom were just guessing. Now they have it to where you can... I mean, it's pretty regulated, but still, if you go up there at the right time when there's nobody around, you see people doing crazy things. That pounding surf that comes in and breaks and it washes all that water up on the shore only to have the next wave break and wash all that water up on the shore. You know, that, that's pretty amazing stuff. And everybody wants to get in and ride the waves. And some guys take their board, and they go running, and they see the break, and they go, yeah, all right. And they take their boards, and they go running, and they jump in the water, and they start paddling. And they paddle hard, and they paddle hard, and they get out their waves, and the first wave breaks over them and washes them back into shore. And they think, silly me, I didn't paddle hard enough. So they get on their board and they paddle twice as hard and they get out there a little bit further this time and sure enough, the wave, it, it washes right over the top of them and it, and, it, and it brings them right back into shore. And then you watch someone come along who actually knows how to surf. And they see the break and they go down about an eighth of a mile and they put their board in the water and they leisurely paddle their way out to where the big waves are because they understand the law of physics. See, every wave that comes in brings all this water to the shore, but it doesn't actually stack up there. You probably noticed that, right? So all that water that's up on the shore has to get back out there somehow. And what it does is it washes into the shore, and then it goes sideways and it flows out in breaks in the coral that's underneath the water, and those are called riptides. So if you put your board in where there's a riptide, where the water's going out, it's a leisurely swim out to where the big waves are. Oh, listen to me. God put guidelines in His Word for teenagers because He wants you to know where the riptides are in life. He wants you to know where the paddling is easy because you know what God wants? He wants you in your life to be able to ride the big waves. But if you don't ever get there, you never ride them. They'll just beat you up and destroy you in life. So God says, come alongside and I'll show you. Because once you get out to the big waves and you point your board back toward the shore and you see a big set coming in and you pick the biggest wave, And you see it coming. And at the right time, you start to paddle and dig for shore. And while you're digging, your board is picking up speed. And then as your board picks up speed, you feel an amazing thing happen. The back end of the board begins to lift. And you know, I'm on the front side of that wave. And at the right time, you know it's time for me to jump onto my feet and drop into the wave. And you and you keep the the nose of the board pointed towards shore and you get on your feet and, and you and you drop into the wave and you start down the front side of that wave. You recognize I can't keep doing this forever. I'll just go whoop and I'll be at the bottom of the wave already, and that's it. And the wave will break right over the top of me. So once you get on the face of the wave, you turn the board and you start cutting across the face of the wave. And and an amazing thing happens. Because now you've invoked the law of physics on your side. Because now for every 15 feet the wave goes this way, you're, you're going 45 feet that direction as it propels you along. And you're flying. And then you're hoping for every surfer's dream tube. You didn't come to pipeline to surf a three-foot wave, right? And you began to see it build and you feel it build behind you. And all of a sudden you see the water begin to tip and to come over the top. And you squat on your board and, and it begins to tube and it starts to come over you and you get in the biggest rush of your life because you're now in the pipe. You're in the tube. And then an amazing thing happens. As the wave begins to break behind you, it starts to close the tube behind you and all the air that was in the tube gets forced out that end and you feel the rush of the wind as it picks you up and guides you on the front of the wave. And when you exit the other side, it's an experience like very few people have. You have ridden the big wave in the tube and you've gotten the most out of surfing you can ever get. Do you know God has a plan for your life and he wants you to hit your stride? So you know what he would say to you, two, you teenagers? If you dig a hole as a teenager your chances of getting in the tube are almost gone. Very few people who dig a hole ever hit their stride in life. So set yourself up. Remember your Creator while you're young. Cooperate and learn. Father, I'll pray for every teenager here. I pray that in spite of the tremendous pressure that they receive at school and from other friends, to make really destructive choices that look like fun in the moment. And they think, I'm young, I'm indestructible. I'll do this fun stuff now, and then I'll get serious later. And they don't realize that they're digging a hole. And when they get ready to get serious, it can take years just to fill up the hole. God, would you help them to get in the riptide of your blessing so that they can really live?